Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. We have to start by building a wall. I'm not going to pay for that wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. I mean, everything's negotiable. It's not negotiable about building said, it. I actually said, no, building it, not negotiable. It's not negotiable. If they ever get up there, they're in trouble. Because there's no way to get down. Maybe a rope. Welcome to Trumpcast the show about the man of 3,500 lawsuits, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So we've gotten pretty used to Mr. Trump blaming foreigners, the Mexicans, the Chinese, the Muslims, for America's problems. What was new last weekend was his blaming foreigners for his own problems, namely the huge class action fraud suit brought by the victims, I mean the former students of Trump University. Trump was speaking in San Diego where the case is being heard, and he went on a rant about how the judge happens to be, we believe, Mexican. Trump said that Judge Gonzalo Curiel, who was born in America of Mexican descent, is a, quote, hater of Donald Trump. Trump went on to accuse him of being corrupt and said that the court system should look into him. That was really disgusting. Maybe the most disgusting racial comment of the many Trump has made, and that's saying a lot. How are Mexicans in Mexico taking this outpouring of vitriol from the Republican presidential nominee? To answer that question, I'll talk today to Enrique Krause, one of Mexico's most distinguished intellectuals and a student of relations between our two countries. He says Trump is poisoning them in a very dangerous way. I'll be back with that interview right after we do the tweets. I find it offensive that goofy Elizabeth Warren, sometimes referred to as Pocahontas, pretended to be Native American to get into Harvard. At San Diego PD, fantastic job on handling the thugs who tried to disrupt our very peaceful and well-attended rally. Greatly appreciated. Same failing New York Times reporter who wrote discredited woman story last week wrote another terrible story on me today. Will never learn. The U.S. has 69 treaties with other countries where we would have to defend them and their borders. How nice. But what do we get? Not enough. I have a judge. In the Trump University civil case, Gonzalo Corral, who is very unfair, an Obama pick, totally biased, hates Trump. 
My guest today is Enrique Krause, the distinguished Mexican historian and intellectual and the founder of the magazine Letras Libres. Uh, Enrique, welcome to Trumpcast. I'm very happy to be the show. So I'm afraid Donald Trump was at it again over the weekend talking about this federal judge, Curiel, in San Diego, who was trying a um, basically a civil fraud suit against him. And he started attacking this judge as, as Mexican. I was dumbfounded. I'd like to tell you that this doesn't represent how Americans feel, but it's hard to argue with Trump having the success he is that prejudice against Mexicans is not a phenomenon in America right now. Well, it's very perplexing for us in Mexico. The continuous um, verbal offenses and uh, the promises that he's made. But let's focus on the offenses. He has depicted Mexicans as criminal and rapists. He has said, not all, I assume, but many are criminals and rapists. And, and this has offended uh, the Mexican people. And as a historian, I want to tell you that I'm truly worried that Trump is opening and can open even more old historic wounds in this very difficult relation between these two countries, a relation that has... 200 years of history, and much of it has been very difficult, very tense, very conflictive. Talk about those historical wounds a little bit. Does this go back to the Alamo and the Mexican-American War? Is this about yeah. ter- ter- Because Trump argues that some of Trump's extreme supporters think that Mexico wants to take territory back from the United States. Well, that's nonsense, complete nonsense. You see, we are very close to have uh, 200 years of relations because Mexico was uh, born as an independent country in 1821. So I can talk about three periods. One that lasted from the beginning until 1942, which is nearly 170 years of very tense, conflictive relations between the two countries. So tense that, of course, we had the Mexican-American War in 1846 to 1848. Americans have forgotten about that war, in which, by the way, 15,000 Americans died, and almost 8% of Mexican population died. So it was a very, very serious, very bloody, and very sad, unfair, unjust war. Americans have forgotten about that war, but not Mexicans, although it is a, a war that happened many, many years ago. The wounds are there, but are... Uh, I would say they have been healed over the years. Then we had half a century of being distant neighbors, 1942 to 1994. And then from 1994 until this year, we've been friends, cooperating partners for only 20 years. Since NAFTA, you're you're talking about essentially. Yeah, since NAFTA until now. And now... All that is jeopardized and putting in danger. And I am only slightly exaggerating by saying that we could face, with Donald Trump, uh, we are facing the possibility of a new war. Obviously, not a military war, but yes, a diplomatic war, a trade war, a social war, an ethnic war. Did, Enrique, did Mexicans assume that a lot of Americans felt the way Donald Trump does, or were they surprised to hear this from Donald Trump and to see people responding to it? I think at this moment, we are uh, Mexicans are uh, not generalizing. 
people are more sensible and reasonable. Don't forget that we in Latin America are more or less accustomed to see this kind of populist semi-fascists or fascist caudillo uh, speaking aloud, telling all sorts of things, irrational things, contradicting himself, boasting, bragging, narcissistical. All this is very Latin American, no? So we are accustomed. What we weren't accustomed is to see that in the United States, a country that Mexicans uh, admire, admire for their democracy. So I think we are now perplexed, and we don't generalize, and we don't see this happening in the general American public. But when you see the images of the Mexican flag waved in demonstrations in San Diego, and you see demonstrations uh, against them, and some tension, some fists, and people arguing in favor of the wall, of the sanctions, well, those are the seats that I'm talking about, the seats of, of racial hatred. One of the ironies of, of Trump's talk about the wall and so on is that actual immigration from Mexico has been somewhat in decline. Not only declined, Jacob, stands at zero since 2012. And the major sources of immigration to the U.S. at present are China and India. Let's imagine what the consequences of that beautiful wall the massive deportations of 11 million undocumented Mexicans would mean. First, there would be legal consequences. Total remittances of the United States coming from the United States to the world are $130 billion a year, of which only 18% are Mexicans. If Trump intends to do uh, taking over the remittances or blocking the remittances. This is how he'd pay. This is how he'd pay for the walls. He said he, yeah. he would. He would uh, intercept money being sent back. Intercept. That's the word. If he intends to do that with Mexicans, he'd have to do it also with the Chinese, and Indian, and Filipinos, and Salvadorans, and many other countries. If not, his tax would be discriminatory and would face judicial processes inside and outside the United States. So this is one aspect. Another aspect of it would be, and very serious, would be the damage to the very important state of cooperation between our two countries in the efforts to combat organized crime and especially the traffic of drugs. And there are other instances of damage. For instance, how would it affect the cooperations of the two countries in matters of water supply? And think of the diplomatic consequences. The fact that Mexico for more than a century has been open to American immigration. There are numerous and growing colonies of American expatriates in Mexico. What would happen to them if a Trump administration exacerbates dissension and social hatred? And, of course, there would be most worrisome social consequences. I just just close my eyes sometimes and, and think of the fear, the mass hysteria, the tearing of families, American children by law deported to Mexico. Listen, I think we are facing a truly serious rift between our two countries. Well, if you've thought about this policy for five minutes, and you've clearly thought about it for much more than that, You've thought about it more than Trump has. Well, that's not difficult. Yes. But one question is, does he intend this in any serious way? That is, in the, I hope, still unlikely event that he is elected, 
Would he make any effort to execute that policy and build a wall? Or is this merely rhetoric, populism, way of whipping up crowds, being a cardio, as you said? Even if it's rhetoric, even if he wins, God forbid, but if he wins the, the nomination, he becomes a president, he says, well, I was just kidding. I now know uh, the vice president is telling me that, no, it cannot be done exactly. He has already done a lot of damage. The whole agenda has moved to the right and to a xenophobic, protectionist, populist trend. And my main concern is the opening of all wounds. You see, Americans are liked in Mexico. Our cultures have been mixing. Mexicans go there to work. Americans come here and visit. They invest. I think many countries in Europe and in Asia would dream of having this kind of relation between neighbors. This whole thing can finish ugly in opening the old nationalist, anti-American wounds and attitudes in Mexico. And we can see riots, demonstrations in front front of the embassies and consulates, things, frankly, our two countries do not deserve. And what's more, our two peoples do not deserve. Enrique, let me end by asking you about the possibility of a more positive outcome. If Hillary Clinton is elected, what can she do to make sure the era that began in 1994 of of positive relations and, and growing connection continues? On the one hand, the United States has to be very firm in stressing that Mexico has to put its house in order in terms of corruption, impunity, violence, and crime. This country is in a shameful situation, not economically and not politically, I would argue, but mainly morally in terms of corruption and the complete lack of the rule of law. And a possible and desirable Hillary Clinton's administration has to be very firm with zero tolerance towards this kind of shameful situation in Mexico. On the other hand, we need to enhance our cultural and economic ties. The physical geographical border will be there forever, but we need to take further steps to build uh, a region without borders. And I think we can, and it's already happening. I myself have my son and grandsons living in Los Angeles. They are Mexicans, and they are Americans, and they have, there's a genius of mixing in the Mexican history, and there is also the melting pot tradition in the American history. So we have to draw ourselves closer. And I think that can be done. The wounds opened by Trump can be healed, and I hope it will become a very sad, as he would say, episode of American history, and America and and Mexico can move forward. I have the same hope. Enrique, thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you, and, and thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you. It's an honor. That's it for today's show. We don't blame Mexicans for our problems around here. Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon are our producers. They love the taco bowl at Trump Tower, too. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate's big, beautiful wall of podcasts. Andy Bowers, we just call him El Jefe. 
I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Wow. USA Today did today's cover story on my record in lawsuits. Verdict? 450 wins. 38 losses. Isn't that what you want for your president?